So this morning, we are back in the book of Genesis, which we've entitled In the Beginning, since that's how the book starts. Uh, and we're walking through just the first 11 chapters to see what the Bible has to tell us about how everything was created, God's intentions for everything that was created, and why it is now the way that it is. Now, a few weeks ago, we left off on Genesis chapter 3, and we saw Adam and Eve usher sin into humanity by taking a bite of the fruit. Today, we're moving, off, moving on to chapter 4, where we're going to see that sin filter down into their children as we are going to look at the story of Cain and anybody? Abel. Abel. Good job. Cain and Abel. Now, I'm going to have the verses up here on the screen, uh, but I always encourage you to follow along uh, in your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have one this morning, you can use one from the seat back in front of you. Feel free to take it home with you. Normally, I try to write down the page number that it's on, but I forgot this week, but it's Genesis. It's the first book. So if you go all the way to the left and turn a few pages, you are going to get there pretty fast. All right. With that said, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew, his wife, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. Now in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. This is the word of the Lord. So we see Eve become pregnant, and she makes this kind of weird statement people have asked me about in the past, so I thought I'd stop on it for a minute. She goes, I've gotten a man. It's kind of like a weird thing to say. It's like, you know, maybe Adam and Eve had like four straight girls in a row that the Bible doesn't talk about, and they're like, finally, a boy. More often, it's sometimes the, the way things come across uh, from Hebrew to English isn't always the cleanest because they're two different languages. But I think after all that has happened with the sin and the consequences of sin and the extra trouble of childbirth, that she's just praising God that she was able to bring forth life. Now, the text tells us that eventually Cain and Abel, they grew up. And as they grew, Abel became a shepherd, and uh, Cain became a farmer. And, and these boys grew into men, and it, somehow they had an awareness of bringing offerings to the Lord. And these would be kind of what we would call dedication offerings. This is where you would dedicate something that you have in recognition that it actually belongs to God, that everything you have comes from God. And so you're thanking him for his provision and, and dedicating some of what he has given to you back to him. It's kind of like uh, when Christians give money in their churches or to missionaries or to the poor, as the Bible instructs them, they're saying, God, everything belongs to you. I'm just a steward. I thank you for everything that you have provided for me. 
and I'm giving back some that, as you commanded me for your purposes. Back then, they didn't have money, so this is what they gave. So we see them give these offerings, and Cain's offering was accepted. But Cain, Cain, Abel's offering was accepted, rather. Cain's was rejected. And he, become, he became upset. He became angry and upset over the rejection. Now, we don't know how God rejected it. Somehow, Cain just knew. And this leads God to have a conversation with Cain. And I really want us, we're going to talk about Abel next week, but I really want us to pay attention to this conversation between God and Cain. Because you and I have a lot in common with Cain. We have a lot in common with the very first recorded murderer in the world. I'll show you what I mean. I'm going to look to uh, Galatians here. In Galatians chapter 5, Galatians, which also happens to be the new ladies' study starting on Thursday nights at 7 p.m., sign up today. Okay. After Paul encourages them not to fight with one another, he says this. The side says Galatians 3, but it's really 5. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Spirit speaking of the Holy Spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, why does Paul give this encouragement? Because our flesh, which means our, our default thoughts and actions, our default impulses are bad. And I know this goes against our American culture where you're awesome and everybody needs to know you're awesome. You have to believe you're awesome and everybody's wrong if they don't realize that you're awesome. You know, you see this. You go to the store and you, you see T-shirts for kids, right? It says, I'm a superstar or I'm a rock star. I'm a champ. No, no. If the Bible was in charge of these stores, it would walk in and says, I am a wicked sinner. I am mediocre at life. Okay? I am messed up. I guess we do have some of those shirts out there. He says, I'm a hot mess, but Jesus loves me. I guess we do have some of those. The Bible says, no, no, you're not great. You're not great. You're not good. You're, in fact, you're a slave to sin. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're such a slave to sin, we're so full of sin that our impulses are actually hostile to God. You ever consider that? Your natural impulses are hostile to God. Because that's what the Greek word here for oppose means in Galatians 5. It means hostile. The people in the Bible, they understood this. David, Psalms 51, he says, Surely I was sinful at birth from the time my mother conceived me. Jeremiah 17.9, we know this one. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick, who can understand it? And Paul in Romans 7, he goes, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. My point in saying of this is when we, when we read God talking to Cain, he might as well be talking to us because the same sin that was in Cain is in us. It is in you, it's in me. I mean, even if you sit here and you're like, I don't know if I believe in Christ, you, 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 you know this to be true, because have you ever noticed how easy it is to do the wrong thing? Like how easy it is to lash out and say the wrong thing, a mean thing, a hurtful thing, how easy it is to lie, 
how easy it is to, to do the wrong thing. It's not, it's not like it, it takes a lot of work. It's not like you have to sit there in the mirror and practice lying so you can start to learn how to lie. Or you have to force yourself to say mean and hurtful things. It just flows naturally. I mean, when you look in the mirror at home, most all of us, until God changes our life, we see all the things that are wrong with us. We have to force ourselves to see the goodness that God has put in us. We'll have a, a hundred great things happen with one day in one day, hundred great interactions. We come across one bad interaction with somebody, and it just that's we just look at social media. If there was ever, an, ever, 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 ever an example of how we default to sin, just look on Twitter or Facebook. It's so easy for us to do things that are in opposition to God because we are all sick with sin. We are the, Christianity is the only faith that will teach you where this sin comes from that has an answer. Now, for some of you, you grew up in church, so this is not news to you. You have heard a message how you are sick and wicked so many times, you could probably walk up here and you could preach it yourself. Now, this is a good thing because we need to be reminded of our depravity in a culture where everybody wants to just think how awesome they are. The problem that can develop is we can become callous. We can become none, numb to the depth of our sin. We don't become numb, dumb, numb to the depth of, depth of other people's sins, but we'll become callous to ours. Our sensitivity will lower to our sin. And this is one of the reasons I love the wording that God uses to warn Cain. Read this again. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if, uh, um, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and it is desire is contrary. It is against you. Now, this is one of the hardest verses in the Bible because this phrase, will you not be accepted, the words that are used here, you don't see them often in the Bible or even together. But it seems like God is talking about obedience. If you, if you obey me, if you bring the right offerings to me and you have the right heart, because we know God looks at the heart, then you will be accepted. But if you don't, he says sin is waiting for you. It is the same for you and me. Sin is waiting for you. Not for the people around you. Well, and the people around you. But it's waiting for you. Right now, every single one of you listening to this message, I don't care what age you are, where you are in life, sin is waiting for you. It's waiting. We don't think about that often. It's waiting for you. If you remember nothing else, remember this. Sin is waiting for you. It's waiting. Like a predator waiting for prey. It's crouching. Use the term crouching. Like it's making itself small. You ever watched uh, the, the, the nature channel when there's a zebra out there? What does the lion do? Does the lion just come like prancing across in front of the zebra? Hey, how you doing? I'm hungry. It's dinner time. No, it gets in the bushes. It makes itself small, and it approaches slowly before it strikes. This is the picture I get when I, when I read this, that 
Sin is waiting for you. Every single one of us. It's waiting for you. Except this predator, it's not outside of you. It's inside of you. It's with you all of the time. In every moment of every day, just waiting. Just waiting. Looking for opportunity. Looking for the moment. God says, listen, the sin that's waiting for you, it's against you. You may choose it, but it's going to hurt you. It's going to harm you. And it's waiting relentlessly. Just waiting. Back to my safari thing. I remember I was watching the Discovery Channel, and it showed a lion, and it, it was sitting outside of a, a warthog's ground home, and it sat there, and it was on a time lapse, and it showed it sitting there from morning to evening. I don't know how many hours it must have, just sitting there, just sitting there, and eventually, warthog sticks its heads out, and <laughs> Pumbaa was gone. Lion King reference for those of you. Sin waits for you. I, can, I could repeat this all day because I want it to sit in because it changes everything about how we see our lives. And just like we see in the safari, when this predator gets a hold of us, it brings death. It brings death in your life if you give it opportunity. We know what happens in the story, right? Oh, wrong one. Cain speaks to his brother Abel in the field. Cain, and then some, the conversation obviously didn't go well. Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Instead of Cain re repenting of his sin, saying, Lord, you're right. I'm, I don't have the right heart in worshiping you. I need to change this. And chooses to be obedient. He hangs onto this anger and he pours this anger out on Abel. Now, I'm going to guess most of us haven't murdered anyone. Scratch that. I'm going to hope none of us have murdered anyone. But I met many, if not all of us, can be accused of bringing death to relationships because of our sin. How many people have destroyed their marriages because of their sin? How many churches have been destroyed because of sin? I always say this time and time again. The number one threat to the church is not the devil has no power that you don't give him. The number one threat to the church is disunity in the church. When people let their own pride get in the way and cause division. Every time. How many friendships have fallen apart because of people's sin? How many families, some of you are part of these families, that are fractured because of the way people treat each other in their sin? See, when we don't understand that sin is waiting for us in every moment, it, we can gather this pride in our lives, and we see other people's faults, but we don't see ours. And so we, we take our blame, we blame the situation, even though we're equally in it, we'll blame it on other people. I mean, this is what happened to Cain. He was angry that he was rejected by God. Now, why would he be angry? Because he felt like he deserved something. Why else would he be angry? 
I mean, if he knew he was wrong, man, God, you're right. I was wrong. Thank you for showing me. Thank you for your grace. Let me fix this. No, he's like, no, he was angry. And, and, and he took his anger to the field, and whatever happened in that discussion with his brother, somehow, out, 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 I think out of envy for his brother's acceptance by the Lord, he killed him. He acted in his sin. Uh, yeah, and who knows what happened? Maybe Abel was feeling a little prideful that day, and he, you know, he wore his you know, God's favorite T-shirt and just pushed Cain over the edge. I don't know. But the reason that this death and situation developed wasn't because of anything Abel did. It was because of the way Cain reacted in his sin. So many of us, because of our own sin and a reluctance or inability or unwillingness to look at our sin, have taken out our misery on other people. I mean, this is what, this is what Cain did. I don't know how many marriages would be would saved, how many relationships would be saved. That when you realize that you're miserable in a relationship with somebody, whether it's a friendship or a work relationship or a church or whatever it may be, the, re, the reason that you're miserable is not because of the relationship. It's not because of what anybody's done to you. The reason that you are miserable in that relationship, whatever it is, it's because of your sin, period. I watch people go through similar situations, those who end up miserable and those who don't, and I tell you time and time again, those who end up miserable, it's because of their sin, their choice not to repent, their choice to be prideful, their choice not to forgive, their choice not to love as they have been loved, their choice not to give the same grace that God has given to them. Anytime that we're miserable in a relationship, we're miserable because of our own sin. Even if the other person plays a role. Right now, I just I wonder where really bad relationships you have in your marriage. Is it friendships? Is it family? Is it wherever it is? And I pray God will show you where your sin has been rampant, waiting for you, crouching for you, trying to bring death to that relationship. Some of you probably can't even see it. You've been that way for so long. You've just written the relationship off. Oh, I pray. I pray you will respond to the conviction of his spirit. I pray I will respond to the conviction of his spirit. And when we ignore our sin, when we're unwilling to see it, unwilling to realize that it's waiting for us, it doesn't bring death just to the relationships. It brings death to us. It eats at our hearts. It rots us from the inside out with bitterness and anger. And C.S. Lewis, he gave a great example of this. He wrote that in his opinion, the Nazis during the Holocaust, they, they first killed the Jews because they hated them. But he said eventually the Nazis hated the Jews because they had killed them. You know what that means? It means that when you hurt somebody, when you treat somebody with sin, when you ignore your sin in a relationship and you treat them in anger and bitterness, if you don't see it, if you don't repent of it, what you have to do is you have to stay mad at them. You have to stay angry at them because that's the only way you can justify the way that you're acting. 
Some of us, we have hard hearts here this morning with people because we don't want to confess to our own sin in the relationship. And we do this all the time. Have you, you ever been in a, you see this with children, you see this with married couples, you see this everywhere. When someone says, you did this to hurt me. And then what do you do? You say, well, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done this, 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 and this. We justify our sin. We blame other people for it. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes, and the harder and the harder and the harder of a heart that you get. Where you get to the point that in your soul, you're like, people can do me wrong, I'm done. I mean, like Cain says, man, when, when God comes to him and says, hey, well, where's your brother? And he's like, what? Am I my brother's keeper? Is he my responsibility? That's what we carry in our hearts. Brings not death just to relationship with others or, or, or to ourselves, but even to God. I mean, we, when, when, we'll read this in a minute. When Cain and God finished talking, it says Cain left the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm not totally sure what that meant, if it meant that he left the presence of the Lord in that moment, like, hey, I'm out of here for that conversation, or if he cut himself off from the Lord. I mean, he never repents, but that's so true of us that when we, when we live in our sin and we, and we don't repent of it, and we're not weary of it, we walk away from the Lord. We stop doing the things that bring us close to the Lord. Some of us, we're in sin now, and it may not even be sin of anger. It could be just, it could be other kinds of sin. You name any sin. And we know in our hearts and our mind that we're doing it. And so there's this distance. We keep this distance between us and God because deep down, we know that we are not walking with the Lord. But we don't want to change anything. Some of us, we go to church, we read our Bible, but it doesn't take root in our hearts. It doesn't sink. There's no joy in the Lord. Why? Because there's part of us still living in sin, and we will not give that up. And it's only a matter of time until we stop going to church, we stop reading our Bible, we stop praying, because sin brings death. Man, we could spend all day on the effects of sin in our life, and, you know, and maybe we should. Because you know what? The truth is we don't fear our sin enough. We do not fear our sin enough. We're not scared of it. We're not scared of it. If we were scared of it, we would change our ways. We wouldn't let anxiety and fear control us. We would repent of our pride. We'd run to people when we, we hurt them and repent. We'd be broken before the Lord. But we have to be woken up to our sin because it will destroy us. Now the good news in all of this, I'm assuming you're ready for some good news is that you have a choice in all of this. I mean, God said to Cain, you must rule over it, which means you have a choice. You have power in this. It does not have to bring death into your life. And when asking what should we do of it, the, the Puritan Richard Baxter, he, I love what he wrote. He said, use sin as it will use you. Spare it not, for it will not spare you. 
kill it before it kills you. Oh, man, how our lives and churches would change if we had the mindset of killing sin in our lives instead of getting as close as possible as we could to sin without falling over the cliff. So I want to give you some ways that we rule over our sin. And I pray that you're going to take them into your lives, that you're going to apply them for God's glory. The first one is to move cautiously. You ever listen to how James describes the process of sin? He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. It's like a seed, like a thought that gets planted in your mind. You've all been down this road. You know what it's like. And it gets planted. And then you ruminate on it. And it starts to grow. And it gets bigger. And it gets bigger. And it gets bigger. Until, boom, it plants and kills the things around it like weeds do. How do we counter this? We have to move more cautiously in our lives. In, in, in situations where we're struggling, in tough relationships, we have to move more cautiously. We have to be more focused on how we're acting than how the other person is acting. You know, it's like this horrible war that's going over in Ukraine. I'm watching the news the other night. They're talking about people who have been living in, in basements for the last three weeks. And they say that when they go outside, they go slowly. They said, you don't know the stress. You have to look around every corner because they don't know who's there. In the same way, we have to maneuver our lives being cautious as we walk into situations that we know will tempt us to sin, to move cautiously. For some of us, it's, it's, it's a possible affair at work. For others, it's what you look at on the computer. For others, it's when you get into a family environment with, uh, with extended family members that just sets you off, Right? For others, it's your desire just to work hard and earn more money and more money and more money at the expense of your family. For others, it's entertainment, social media, with the word of God. The list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. But for us to move slowly, to understand that we are at war in this world. Every day, you're at war. When you go to work, teenagers, when you go to school, you are at war. There's sin waiting for you playing on your fears and your hurts and your passions. It's waiting. Too often we're just focused on what we want to do. Not thinking about what is waiting for us. We must know our triggers. I mean, imagine if, if Cain would have said, man, I, I'm prone to anger. And so when that anger started to build up in him, he, he spotted it right away because he repented of it. How would it have changed the situation that had happened? And as we move cautiously, we, we have to doubt ourselves. I, I talked to somebody recently, and they said, man, since I've started uh, getting to know God, I have never doubted and second-guessed myself more in all my life. And I'm like, praise God. Amen. So far, we're, we take our feelings and we make them truth in situations as if we're the ones who have the truth and we know. And the one of the ways you know this is you, when you get upset when everybody else doesn't agree with you and doesn't go your way. But we have to second guess the intentions of our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 again, the heart is deceitful above all things. 
man, I, I, I have people who come into my office and they, they say, listen, I'm going through this and I'm going through this and this is how I feel, but I just want to honor God. These are people who are second-guessing themselves, realizing that they are sinful, and I love it when they ask these questions. I love it when I remember to ask this question. Do you do this? Do you second-guess yourself? When you feel passionate, you feel hurt, and you feel angry, and a relationship's blown up or a situation's bad, do you stop and think, man, where could I be wrong? How relationships would change if people could ask that question, where could I be wrong? Where, where could sin be creeping at my door? Where could I be allowing past hurts and unforgiveness to just sway how I think and feel and react? How could my sin be trying to get me in this situation? Some of us, we live by anxiety and our fear, and, and it just prevents us from stepping out and doing what God calls us to do. And we don't ever stop and ask, man, is this anxiety and this fear, is, is this sin? Some of us, we, we get filled with anger when things don't go our way and we don't stop and ask, is this pride? Is, why am I so angry? When, we, when we, we leave a church, right? Oh, my goodness, let me tell you right now. When we leave a church, I guarantee you 99.9% .9 of the time when people leave the church, it's because of their sin, right? Because not in every church you be in, every church you're in, are you going to agree with everything that they say and everything that they do? Because, and, and we so I'm done, I'm out of here. Because you're, you're off looking for this perfect church that agrees with you. Look, listen, if you want a church that just makes you feel happy and agrees with everything that you do, I don't know what church you're going to be in, but it's not going to be a Bible church. Because a Bible church is going to challenge you. You're going to have relationships that you're going to be challenged in. You're going to have things that you're going to disagree with. And in those moments, you're going to have to choose how you're going to react. Is it in sin? Or are you going to choose to say, let me grow with them. I could be wrong. Let's grow together in the Lord. But we don't stop and ask, where could my sin? I mean, this even goes on into sins of omission. Those are sins where you don't do what you're supposed to do because that's what sin is, not doing what God has told you to do. Like, when you don't go to church, like last Sunday, we had 253 people in this church. I can already tell you right now, unless they're all coming to the 1045, we're falling short of that. Now, maybe they're having vacation, okay? Maybe a crisis hammed up. Maybe they were visiting, and they're back home at their own churches. But I'm going to guess there's a good majority of people, they're not here because they just decided to enjoy a nice morning outside. Or they're on their couch, right? In those moments where we're tempted to do that, do we stop and say, like, why don't I want to go to church? Do we stop and say, why don't I, I want to join a Bible study? Why don't I want to serve in ministry? Why do I not want to read my Bible? Why do I not want to pray? We don't ask those questions enough. Because when we realize, oh man, it's my sin that makes me not want to do this or this and this and this. It makes you realize how much more that you need them. See, the people that are here, that they make church a priority, that they make the Bible a priority, they make prayer a priority, partly it's my prayer that they're here because they realize how much they need it, that how sinful they are. And that, that those things, they're not just to do them, but they serve a purpose. They're like, you know, minesweepers. My dad we used to talk about how they'd have minesweepers in the war. They'd walk over and they'd check for mines. They'd check for booby traps. And that's what these things do. I know people who, they, they memorize scripture. 
that has to do with the sins that they struggle with. As a, and so when that temptation comes in, that Bible verse comes up, and they're like, oh, that's a sin. They'll do it with anger, or they'll do it with pornography. Some of them, uh, they, they, have, they have things that have to do with, with, sin, with uh, money because they struggle in that area. They'll get Bible verses. I do this. I have Bible verses for things that I know are easy sins for me. This is, this is why we, we go to Bible studies. So you have other people who can see you talking as you share your life, and they're like, so, so I noticed you said this. Have you ever thought about this? People from an outside perspective who can speak into your life, or you can listen to other people tell their stories, and you're like, oh, man, I do the same thing. The people that don't commit themselves to the things that God calls us to do, like scripture, like prayer, like being in church with other believers, I'll tell you one of the reasons, whether they realize it or not, they are not scared enough of their sin. They're not scared enough. That's why I'm like, and I'm glad like we have people watching at home, but if they're not watching at home because they're, they're, they're homebound physically or other, either out of town, they should be here because it is only here where we meet other people and pour into their lives and build relationships where they can pour into ours to help us overcome our sin, to be wary of our sin. I mean, I wonder how things might have been changed if Cain went to his mom and dad, who had firsthand suffered under sin. I don't know anything of the relation in there, but I wonder if he had the humility to do that, how might have things changed? Oh, I pray for conviction of the Holy Spirit because I know that we all need it, every single one of us. Now, the beauty of conviction in the Holy Spirit, even though it brings us down, and it should bring us down because it's not till we're down that we can look up to the Lord, is that's when grace ushers in. If you know how the rest of the Bible story goes, you know, God says, hey, where's Abel? Cain says, hey, I don't know, not my job. God said, what did you do? And then he punishes Cain. He says, look, you're going to farm. Farming's not going to work for you anymore. You spilled blood on the ground, and so the ground will not produce for you. You're going to wander this earth as punishment. And Cain, instead of repenting for his sin, goes, oh, how could you do this to me? What have you, oh, just how could you do this? I, my life is ruined. People are going to murder me. And God says, you know what? No, that's not going to happen. I'm going to put a mark on you that nobody will murder you. And we don't know what the mark was, a tattoo, I don't know, a sign, whatever. But he said, there was still God's grace for Cain. He didn't strike him dead. He allowed him to live. He protected him against retribution from those who would love Abel and want to suffer, make him suffer. And in the same way, God gives us grace today. There's, you know this, there is consequences for our sin. But we're not stuck in them. God's grace is present in them. They don't end last forever. God can always use them for his glory. We can learn from them. There's grace. But that grace is meant to do something important. Because if you just accept that grace and you're good, that's not enough. As we read in Romans 2.4, that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. He was meant to lead us to repentance. 
And repentance means you recognize your sin. You confess your sin. And then you change your ways. Though imperfect as you may be, and as many times as you'll still stumble, when you do it, you repent each time, and you continue to work to change your ways through the power of the Holy Spirit. And over time, you see that sin get a hold of you less and less and less and less and less, which causes you to look to the Lord and say, praise God. Oh, I wonder how this story would have changed if Cain would only have repented. My prayer this morning is that you will recognize your sin. You will repent, not only to God, but to those who you have wronged with your sin. You will find joy in his grace and his forgiveness.